Good morning, everyone. This morning we are in Matthew 19. And after Jesus had finished these words regarding forgiveness in the tr previous chapter, he departed from Galilee and came into the region of Judea beyond the Jordan, and large crowds followed him, and he healed, he healed them there, always going about healing. Some Pharisees came to Jesus, testing him, and boy, what a test we have before us now in regards to divorce, and asking, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason at all? So, in Jesus' day, uh, there were sects of Jews who had different views on divorce. Some were interpreting the Old Testament that if you just kind of changed your mind and if the wife was no longer satisfactory to you, you could divorce. And other Jews, also looking at the Old Testament, said we're very strict regarding divorce. So they're, they debate that amongst themselves, and now they're asking Jesus, Jesus, what do you say? And, you know, they're asking him to get involved in a very tough topic and, in a way, wanting to use that as a means to, you know, find fault in him. And through this discussion, then, we get instruction on divorce. So is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason at all? And he answered and said, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning, so now he's going back to Genesis 2 and the foundation, the biblical foundation of the Bible and marriage. Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? You know, before we go any further, what, what a powerful statement that is. Recall when Jesus is looking for truth, what is he saying right now? He's saying, I go to the Bible, and he's saying that he who created them, he believes in creation. In fact, Jesus was there at creation, and Jesus believes and affirms that not only were they created by God from the beginning, that you find that out in the Bible and that I believe the Bible, but that he made them male and female. So, there's a lot already said about Jesus' affirmation of the Old Testament, about creation, and about men and women being created male and female. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. And what a what a strong word right there. I mean, I love that Jesus affirms the word. You know, you might remember when Jesus was tempted by the devil and the devil was trying to twist things up and Jesus said, it is written, it is written. Jesus went back to the word of God for his source of truth. And we need to honor the Bible <clears throat> the way that Jesus does and the way that he thinks of it. And, you know, hallelujah, I'm thankful for the foundation that we have not only in Jesus, but in the word of God. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. They said to him, Why then did Moses command to give her a certificate of divorce and send her away? Now they're interpreting a passage where Moses permitted divorce in the Old Testament, and they're using it as a means of saying that Moses um, condoned or allowed for divorce. And, you know, they're interpreting it liberally, or some are questioning him in that way. And he said to them, because of your hardness of heart, 
Moses permitted you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not it has not been this way. So Jesus goes back to the beginning and says, "Hey, I created you male and female and the two shall become one flesh." And I say to you whoever divorces his wife except for immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. So Jesus is saying that I don't want you to get divorced. God doesn't like divorce. I don't like divorce. And except for instances of immorality and typically that that the other versions would say sexual immorality or essentially cheating, um, except for those instances, uh, I don't want you to get divorced. And, you know, Jesus refers back to it's because of your hardness of heart. You know, we unfortunately live in a culture today where people are raised on unbiblical principles. And, you know, so you have husband and wife who come together who barely have faith, who barely have understanding of the, the Bible, have a barely understanding of how much God desires for marriage to be one forever. Instead, grow up from our early childhood learning about how many divorces, or maybe our parents were divorced, or our relatives were divorced, or 50% of marriages are in divorce. So we see divorce as kind of a common option. And instead of basing our views on biblical teaching, we get raised on societal standards, and therefore we're just raised with a, a very permissive attitude towards divorce. But, you know, for the Christian, Marriage is a very serious covenant, and God desires that we would stay together. And, of course, he wants us to be um, faithful to our husbands and our wives and, and not be sexually immoral in any way. Now, Jesus does give an out. And if we were to read in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, the Apostle Paul says that if you marry a unbeliever, you're supposed to stay married to them as long as they want to be married. But if an unbeliever chooses to leave the marriage, you can let him leave. Um, so that is another biblical uh, instruction on divorce. So in a sense, the Bible gives two different reasons for divorce. One would be sexual immorality, and the other would be because an unbeliever leaves. Now, this doesn't answer all questions because there's so many, because there's just so many divorces. and. What I would say is this is this is Jesus' standard. This is what he wants us to do. He wants us to be committed to our spouses and not get divorced. But what if people do? Well, it's a sin and and it is something that we need to repent of and and be broken for and say, Lord, I'm sorry that my in my past, my broken past is filled with all of this divorce and remarriage and Lord, I'm certain you're not pleased about all of that in the past. And Lord, I'm sorry, and I, I repent of that, and I don't want to repeat those mistakes again, God. And I want to honor you from this day forward. I can't go back, but I can, moving forward, honor you. And I would say that that's the proper position to be in moving forward, is not to justify divorces, not to you know, act willy-nilly about it, but to be like, yeah, that's a broken part of my past. I'm sorry about that. And I, I believe God's grace is big enough to forgive. Um, I, I believe that the Lord does 
forgive you for your past and wants you to move forward and follow him. But it's not as a means to justify or say that it was okay or that it's proper what happened in the past. But instead, to say, you know what, I want to I live to honor the Lord now. And, you know, it's a sin, and it's, it's a big sin, but what sin isn't big, right? I mean, we've all committed, you know, it's kind of like <clears throat> sexual immorality. Forget, it, forget that it's even, uh, you know, out, say outside of marriage, you know. Um, say you had lots of sexual relationships with people that you weren't married to. Well, that's not something God approves. That's sin. What do we do? You know, what do we what do we do? We can't can't go back and take those away, right? So we acknowledge that the way that we lived our lives was not honoring to the Lord, and we're repentant of that. We're broken for it, and we say, God, help me now to live a life of faith in you and not commit the kind of mistakes I made before. Help me to do it right now, Lord. Help me to honor you moving forward. And and you know, his love covers a multitude of sins, the cross. Um, is a great source of forgiveness, and um, but I think because we don't want to perpetuate divorce, we need to always hold to God longs for our marriages to last forever, and always hold to divorce as you know a problem of the past that we don't want to continue to perpetuate. So not making light of it, but also knowing that. God's grace is big, and now I'm going to move forward in Him, and uh, I'm thankful for the grace of God. Um, that's what I would say about this issue. I know that probably doesn't answer all questions, but if you're in a marriage now <clears throat> that's struggling, I pray that you'd work hard at it with the Lord, that you would get counseling, that you'd get Christian counseling, that you might get separate counseling, that you'd get together counseling. And somewhere there's probably there's probably sin in your lives and in your relationship, and sin will mar a marriage. So that's the first thing: is how is either one of you sinning if there's a marriage that's struggling? How is it that you're not honoring the Lord and not honoring one another? And if through your faith in Jesus, you put away what's wrong and you put away sin and you do what's right, there will be a lot of improvement in your marriage. Um, Sin blocks and hinders marriage. So uh, we are to love our spouses. It's God first, then our spouse. And where is that not the case? I mean, you know, if you're struggling individually or in your marriage individually is God first in your life are you putting God first are you doing what's right by him and then secondly are you doing what's right by your spouse and if you do both those things if you put God first and then do what's right by him and by your spouse I'm telling you your marriage is going to get better but when 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 you don't when you're doing what's wrong before God and before your spouse it perpetuates the problem and you know what the one who gets hurt is 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 you I mean, when you're not honoring each other and you're not honoring the Lord, it hurts all of you and it hurts your family and it doesn't make for a happy life. I'm telling you, God's ways are best. He knows how to help us. Honor God. Do what's right by God. Honor your spouse and and things will get better. Uh, I really believe that. Now, sometimes you may have a spouse that isn't willing to do that and pray for them. And I think when you uh, endure 
a hardship for the Lord, when you bear up under a challenging circumstance for the Lord and wait on Him to bring the change, I do think that that's very honoring. <clears throat> now, I have a daughter, and um, she just got married, and a uh, good man, and I believe it'll be a good marriage. You know, when it gets to something that's abusive, you know, I think I would struggle with that as a father. No one wants to see abuse in a marriage. And in some cases, I think that there can be what a separation leading to restoration. The problem with that is because of the permissiveness of divorce these days, a lot of times if there's a separation of a marriage, not a divorce, but a separation, maybe people move out or they separate in some way for the purpose of restoration. But a lot of times when they get that escape, one of the parties just wants to not go back. And so I, I have seen that not work well to separate. But I think in some very dysfunctional situations, there should be separation. And that doesn't mean you have to run to divorce. I think you should not pursue divorce and give it time and give time for God to work and give time for counsel. And Lord willing, the separation be, can be uh, preparing for a restoration in the marriage. Uh, I think in an abusive situation, you know, that that's appropriate. We don't want someone to live in an abusive situation. So yes, uh, enduring hardship in a difficult marriage to honor the Lord and not giving up is an honorable thing. At some point when it's too harming, I think then a separation with the goal of restoration is a good thing. All right. But he said to them, not all men, or if the disciples said to him, if the relationship of the man with his wife, verse 10, is like this, is it better not to marry? Meaning if, gosh, if the standard's so high and divorce is looked at so, um, you know, not to divorce is looked at very strictly, um, maybe people are better off not getting married at all. But he said to them, not all men can accept this statement, but only those to whom it has been given. There are eunuchs. Now, a eunuch can be someone who either was born with some kind of problem with their private parts, or as he's going to talk about, there could be a eunuch who, you know, back in that day, I think sometimes they had punishment, you know, maybe towards a, a male for being sexually immoral. And then now they're not able to sexually function like normal. And then there's a eunuch. A eunuch can be a term for someone who just chooses to not be married, who just chooses to be single or Maybe a eunuch would then be also someone who just hasn't found a spouse, and maybe they'd like to be married, but they're not, and, 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 but they're using their time single to serve the Lord. And, and Jesus says, that's great. It's great if, if you don't marry, it's okay. And to, to use that extra time that you have in service to the kingdom of God is a great thing. But, uh, you know, Paul talks about the benefits of marriage and if you struggle with lust that you should marry instead of being single and living sexually immoral. Um, so the, the Bible is very encouraging towards marriage, but there there are people who either are called or maybe God has not allowed them to find a spouse. And it can be for the reason of, of having the time to serve God's kingdom. Because when you have a spouse that and a family, there's a lot of things that you do in order to, to raise and support and train up that that family. And if you are single, you can you can serve God uh, in, in freer ways. 
I'm not trying to promote being single, but it it it's it is an option for people, and it's what God has for some people. So, but He said to them, "Not all men can accept the statement, but only to those whom it has been given." Verse twelve: For there are eunuchs who are born that way from their mother's womb, and there are eunuchs who are made eunuchs by men, and there are also eunuchs who made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. That's kind of what we've been talking about. He was able to accept this. Let him accept it. So if you can accept being single, do it. Then some children were brought to him so that he might lay his hands on them and pray, and the disciples rebuked them. I don't know what the disciples are thinking. I guess they're you know, not, I don't know, thinking these children are a nuisance. And praise God that Jesus had this kind of heart. But Jesus said, let the children alone and do not hinder them from coming to me. For the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. And we talked about that in a previous chapter, that Jesus loves it when we humbly follow him as a child. And sometimes children are very willing to trust an adult who is trustworthy and just willing to follow them. And, and Jesus wants us to be like that. But he loves children, praise God. After laying his hands on them, he departed from there. Jesus is you know, praying a blessing over them and comforting them. What a great guy. What a great, this is the wrong, wrong way to put it. What a great Lord and Savior and what a great example. And someone came to him and said, Teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may obtain eternal life? And he said to him, Why are you asking me about what is good. There is only one who is good. But if you wish to enter into life, keep the commandments. Now, this is going to get into, this section here is going to get into one of those those situations where I've talked about throughout going through Matthew that, you know, during the time that Jesus was here on earth, like in this active setting with this person, the gospel is not fully revealed yet. Jesus has not died. The way of salvation is not yet through faith in Jesus and the cross because he hadn't died for their sins yet. So they're still in this transition time from living under the old covenant to living under the new covenant. And, and Matthew's already on the other side of that writing this because he's writing it well after Jesus died and rose. But in this conversation, that covenant, that new covenant of grace through faith is not fully established. So Jesus doesn't give that man, um, you know, just place tr your trust in me and have faith in me and all your sins will be forgiven because he didn't die for him. So Jesus is still, a, to a certain extent, relying on the law, which is what they were under, the Mosaic law. So uh, Jesus says there's only one who is good, which by the way is going to be him. Um, and, you know, that's talked about Old and New Testaments. None of us are good, not even one. And that's why we all need the forgiveness through the cross. But at this point, Jesus says, but if you wish to enter in life, keep the commandments. Because essentially, their faith was supposed to be shown through being obedient to the Old Testament commandments. Then he said to them, the, the, the rich young man said, which ones? Which ones should I keep? And Jesus said, well, you shall not commit a murder. You shall not commit adultery, going over the Ten Commandments. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Which, that was not a Ten Commandment, but it was one that Jesus said was very significant. Um, a very significant law of the Old Testament. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. That's an Old Testament saying brought into the New as something very significant. The young man said to him, All these things I have kept. 
What am I still lacking? Now that's interesting. You know, Jesus had a Sermon on the Mount, you might recall, not that this man would be aware of that, but Jesus added to the law and said, you know, if you lust after another woman, you've committed adultery. If you're angry with your brother, you've committed murder. Um, so in Jesus' understanding, I'm sure this man was not perfect. And he, the man, young man saying, well, I've, I've done it all. I've kept everything great. And Jesus said to him, if you wish to be complete or perfect, go and sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Now, that's interesting, hey? If you want to be perfect or if you want to be complete, go sell all that you have. Now, is Jesus saying that we should all sell all we have? Well, I'm not saying he'd say that's a bad thing, right? Like if we gave up our possessions, gave to the poor, and we just went all in on serving Jesus. But is that something, that's a work, right? I mean, if everyone had to do that, then we wouldn't be saved by faith. We'd be saved by perfection. And we already know that we're not saved by perfection. Now, we should look to be generous and to serve God, but this is not a requirement. But this man was trying to earn his way to heaven through his perfection or completeness. And Jesus says, well, if you want to be perfect, then do all this. But when the young man heard this statement, he went away grieving, for he was one who owned much property. And Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I say to you, it is easier for the camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. That's an interesting statement, isn't it? Now, can a camel go through the eye of a needle? No. A camel cannot fit through an eye of a needle. And neither can a rich man buy his way into heaven. Nor can a rich man earn his way into heaven. Nor can seeking perfection get you to heaven. There's only going to be one way. And it's going to be revealed in the not-too-distant future. Here we're in Matthew uh, 19, and I believe it's Matthew 26, is where Jesus is having the Last Supper with his disciples. So we're not far away from where he is going to give his life. So when his disciples heard this, that, hey, a rich man's not going to get to the heaven like a camel can't go through the eye of the needle, they were astonished and said, well, then who can be saved? And looking at them, Jesus said to them, with people, this is impossible. See, earning our way to heaven through perfection or through our riches or through our worldly success is impossible. We can't get to heaven that way. Or even trying to follow the law to perfection, that's not going to get us to heaven because we can't. With people, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. And, and Jesus is just not prepared to fully unveil the gospel. They're going to get it soon enough. And in, in a sense, he couldn't until it happened. I mean, till the gospel was fully, till the sacrifice was made, you know. The, the sacrificial system needed to be fulfilled in Jesus Christ, who's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And until that was done, the gospel in this situation is not fully known. So then Peter said to him, Behold, we have left everything and followed you. What then will, will there be for us? So Peter's saying, hey, we have kind of, we've dropped our fishing nets and we've been following you. And Jesus said to them, truly I say to you that you who have followed me in the regeneration when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you shall sit upon twelve thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or farms for my name's sake 
will receive many times as much and will inherit eternal life, but many who are first will be last and the last first. So listen, there is reward in heaven. And if we, through faith, first of all, that's, the, that's how we get the reward of heaven is through faith. But then there are rewards in heaven for how we followed the Lord. We can't get to heaven through our works. We get to heaven through our faith. But then once we have come to faith, we're going to be rewarded for our works. We're going to be rewarded for how we've served God here on earth. And <clears throat> Jesus is saying, you know what? You're going to be rewarded greatly in heaven for how you've served me here. There's rewards in heaven. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. And I believe what that's referring to is that, you know, the Jews who thought of themselves as first in line in God because they were part of God's family uh, are going to be last if they don't come to Jesus. And Gentiles who were not part of God's family at this point in history, but now who come to faith in Jesus after the gospel's known, they're going to they're going to step in line before the Jews. I mean, they're going to be first because they've believed in Jesus. So some who used to be closer to God, so to speak, or at least thought that way, aren't going to be. And those who now come to faith in me, as we'll learn in the, in the, in the time ahead, are going to be first. So uh, there you have it. You know, um, the first thing, let's get the first thing first. We got to trust in Jesus. We got to believe in him. There's only one way to heaven. Uh, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Your sin, my sin, blocks us from heaven until we place our trust in Jesus, and then his cross is what pays for our sin through faith when we believe what he's done. Then after that, we want to live lives in our marriages and in our possessions and in our in our lives. We want to live to to bear fruit for God. We want to live to... We want to live to honor him and please him, and, and there's reward in heaven for doing so. God bless you all, and we'll see you again in Matthew chapter 20.